you that are brand new with us. If this is your first time with us, I just want you to know we are so glad that you're here with us. Um, We already care about you and love you and consider you a part of this family. So thank you so much for being here. Um, I got to be honest with you. Um, as, As a high school pastor, what we're talking about tonight, there's a very real part of me that feels very unqualified to talk about this, right? Like I can talk about like who my favorite like bachelor was for the bachelorette, right? Like I can talk about that because my wife and I watch that and I'm fine with admitting that, right? And I can talk about like my son Charlie and like how him and I wrestle all the time. Like I can talk about those things and, and, and I love talking about the Bible and, and we're going to get into that tonight, but we're gonna, what, what we're going to spend a lot of our time focusing on is science tonight. And so for those of you that came looking to hear a little bit about this idea that, that could it be scientifically, could, could there be scientific data that actually proves that God created the world? That's what we're going to be exploring tonight. I want to tell you too, the reason this is so important for me too, whoa, hello, <laughs> almost died. Uh, the reason this is so, the reason this is so important for me is because I think some of us, our perspective of God is so small. If we even have a perspective of God, it's like, hey, he doesn't matter. He doesn't have any voice in my life. He hasn't done a whole lot of anything in the world. And so I could really care less. And so my hope is there may be some of you tonight who because of some stuff going on in your life right now, because things are so overwhelming to you, or because of some things that you're hearing in science class, or because of something that's happened to your past, you need, you need a big God. You need a God that's big enough, a a God that actually created the universe. Because you feel like your problems, you feel like the stuff you're wrestling with is so big that you need a big God. And so tonight I come to you as a messenger excited to share with you the facts and the figures and the scriptures that were written thousands of years ago and the scientific data that's just coming out right now that all point to one conclusion, that God created the world. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And I'm excited. There may be things that I say that you love. In fact, there may be some of you here who you hate. You hate Christians, right? Like you, you look at Christians, you think they are so narrow-minded. Well, I think you're going to love my message because I'm going to say some things that might frustrate some of us Christians or that might rattle our cages a little bit. But there may be some of you here who you, you hate science, You are so frustrated by all these scientific discoveries. And and I want to tell you, we got to look at them. Because I believe when we look at them, they reveal something about God in a really profound and beautiful way. And so I am so excited you're here. Whatever perspective you have, I am so glad you're here. Let me start out with a quick disclaimer, and it's this. You have faith in something. Every single person here, you have faith in something. There is not one single person who walked in this room who makes every single decision based on pure facts. We all believe something. And this is huge because sometimes there's this notion that that if you're an atheist or if you've looked at the research and you go, there can't be a God, it is entirely, my belief is entirely based on science, I have to tell you something. It's not. That there is scientific information But you deciding that there is not a God, that is a faith statement. That is a belief. 
but also for us Christians. For those of us that say, hey, Jesus is God, we believe God created the world, that is a faith statement as well. And so all of us, one thing we all share in common is that all of us are putting, putting our faith in something. And the question is, does the data and does the research back up what you believe in? And so I'm going to try to make a compelling argument for why I believe God created the world. And this week, my mind, I was like, last night, I was like 2 or 3 a.m., just like all wired on like science. And that never happens to me because I can't really read very well. I read Twitter. I don't read books. And so when I'm reading these books, I'm going, man, like this is blowing my mind. And so I want to tell you two of the books that have really impacted me is this first one called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And so a lot of what I'm sharing comes out of here. Another book that I've really dug into this week is The Case for a Creator. And so I'm only going to breeze through some stuff, but if you want to dig a little deeper, I want to encourage you. And in fact, if you can't afford one of these books, I would love to help you because I think these books are so powerful. So the first one is, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And the next one is the case for a creator. Okay, so let's dig into it. Um, The first is this, science, science as a discipline answers the questions of how, how did something come into existence? Now, we need to be cautious there because sometimes there are scientific theories or claims that get made that turn out to get debunked later. And so it's not just that whatever science says we believe, but but the discipline of science is to help us understand how something came into existence. But there's something science can't do, and it's this. It can't answer the question, why? It can't answer the deep questions of why are you here? Why are you in this room? Why are you living? Like those deep questions at the core of you, like the purpose behind your life, science can't answer those questions. And so if there's any of you in this room who are going, I hate science, I'm only going with faith, I'm going to tell you you're missing out. But if there's those of you that are going, man, I love science and I want nothing to do with faith, you are missing out. You see, science and faith don't need to be enemies. And sometimes as Christians, maybe you've thought that before. Or maybe there's people in here who don't know Christ and you just think Christians hate science. Can I just be the first to say that's not true? That as a Christian, I love science because as I'm going to show you, it is constantly pointing me back to God. And so I want you to approach this, uh, I want you to approach both with investigative eyes and, and cautiously. So here are the four things we're going to talk to, and I'm going to breeze through these. Some of you have the notes, we have them in the back, but the four things we're going to talk about is this. Evidence for a created universe. Like, why do we even believe that there is a created universe? The second thing we're going to talk about is the Big Bang. What do we believe about the Big Bang? The third is this, the miracle of life on earth. We're going to look at some stats that I'm telling you are going to blow your minds that reveal that this earth is just, it's too perfect to not have someone have designed it. And then the fourth thing we're going to talk about is the lack of evidence for Darwin's macro evolution. And so my hope is that I dispel some of the myths that you may have believed. Maybe I help clarify some things, but this is what we're going after. So let's dig in together. The first thing I want to talk about, and I know this sounds like really heady stuff, but I'm telling you, this is some good stuff here. The first thing I want to talk about is the cosmological argument for God's existence. So cosmo, that word cosmo means stars, galaxy, skies, right? So there is this argument that has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's called the cosmological argument for the existence of God. And what it means is this. You can look up into the skies, and they will tell you something about God. In fact, you can look up to the skies, and they will give you evidence that there is a God. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to first talk about this. Nothing 
cannot produce something. I want you to think about that quote because we're going to circle back around. Nothing cannot produce something. So here are the three, here are the two claims and then the uh, conclusion for the uh, cosmological argument for the existence of God. I know this is crazy, but let's just break this down together. Here's the first claim. Everything that had a beginning had a cause, okay? So everything that had a beginning had a cause. This is just a claim. So this book, okay, let me break it down for you. This book had a beginning, right? This book wasn't always around, right? This book hasn't been forever existent. This book had a beginning. And since it had a beginning, since it hasn't, since it's not eternal, something caused this book. Now, this is huge because atheists actually believe, there's there's some atheists who believe that the universe is actually eternal, that the universe is, that has always been, that time, space, and matter have always been, or that they're constantly rippling back and forth, that they're in this static nature. But this claim is first that everything that had a beginning had something cause it. So would you guys agree with that? Would you agree that this book didn't always exist? Does everyone agree with that? Okay, this book didn't always exist. So would you also agree that this book had a beginning? That there was some event, there was some, something that caused this book. Would you guys agree with that? Okay, so then the second claim is this. The universe had a beginning. Now right now you should go, well, how, how do you prove that? And that's what we're going to do in a second. But that's the second claim, is that the universe had a beginning. Now if the first one is true, which we just talked about, and if the second one, if we can prove it in a minute, that the universe had a beginning, then we have to draw this conclusion. That therefore, the universe had a cause. So what it's saying is that if this had a beginning, then something caused it. If this isn't eternal, something caused it. If the universe also is not eternal, then something must have caused the universe. And so that begs the question, if that's true, if something caused the universe, then you can't help but ask the question, what was it? You can't help but ask the question, what was it? So let me try my best to persuade you as to why we believe that the universe had a beginning. The first one is this. Has anybody ever heard of the second law of thermodynamics? Okay, so the second law of thermodynamics basically says this, that the universe, and scientists have proven this, that the universe is finite. That the resources, sorry, sorry, the resources in the universe are finite and that they are being consumed. So there's not just this limitless, unlimited resources out in the universe, but there's actually a finite amount to them, and they are being consumed. So that right there tells us that if there is not infinite universe, if there are not infinite resources, that they are being consumed, and one day the universe will be no more. Well, if it's eternal, how can the universe also not be anymore? Second proof is this. Expanding universe. So this was actually proven in the 1920s by a guy named Edwin Hubble via a telescope that he looked in this telescope and what he saw in the 1920s is that through looking through this telescope, you actually, whenever you look out on a telescope, you're seeing the past, right? Because stars are moving so fast, so we're actually seeing the past. So they were able to look through this telescope and what they found out is that the universe is not eternal and that it's just kind of sitting there. It's not static, but it's actually expanding. And so if the universe is expanding, if you go reverse with that, what does that tell you? That's a starting point. If the universe is always expanding, that means at some point, if you go and rewind, like rewind, what happens? There's a starting point. 
that's point number two. Check out this one. Number three is this, the radiation afterglow. So in the 1960s, there was this radiation afterglow that was found on the earth. And scientists were blown, their minds were blown by this, that they actually found radiation afterglow from this big, this big bang event. There was this event that caused the universe into creation and they found radiation from it. And so scientists are looking at this and they're going, man, evidence is pointing towards there was some kind of creator. There was something behind this. There was something that caused it. And the last is this. And this one I put in there for Rob. Um, Rob is our math teacher, which we love, Rob. Um, and I hate math. But here you go, Rob. Uh, Einstein came up with this theory of general relativity. And you know what's interesting about Einstein? Is he started out not a Christian. Actually, he was never a Christian. But he, he didn't start out being a theist. He didn't believe in God at all. And then, through his mathematics, he actually proved to the fifth decimal place that time, space, and matter are co-relative. Time, space, and matter are co-relative. And what that means is they're interdependent. You cannot separate time from space and matter. So time would describe something eternal, right? That if there is time, and there is space, and there is matter, that all of them... Are, are synced up with each other. That you can't separate them from one another. Which what that proves is that there was an event that began it all. Because you can't have eternity without matter and space as well. And so what, this, and this pissed Einstein off. In fact, he talks about this, how being, this was the most irritating discovery he ever found was that time, space, and matter through the general relativity principle that they're connected. So the second thing I want to talk about is the Big Bang. So right there, through some of that evidence, through some of that evidence, what we, can, we can actually draw the conclusion that scientists agree, and some scientists try to dispute this, but there's an overwhelming amount of scientists who say, yeah, you know what, there was a beginning. That there was something that caused everything. And so what was it? Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up, when I, whenever I heard the word back, Big Bang, I thought it was like a cuss word as a Christian, right? Like, I heard Big Bang, and I'm like, no, we don't believe in that, you're the devil, no. But you know what? I don't think that's true. Because as I want you to hear this description of what this Big Bang was, and then as we read a really cool scripture, I think it's going to make sense to you. This Big Bang is actually not something to fear. So the first thing I want to say about it is that the Big, thing, Big Bang theory suggests that the universe had a beginning and is not static or eternal. So this begs the question, who started it? Uh, we had this guy come to our church a while ago. His name was Hugh Ross. And he gave this incredible presentation. And he's an astrophysicist. And this is what he says about the Big Bang. This is how he describes that moment. When time, space, and matter came together and there was this explosion. This is how he describes it. At 10, I don't even understand this, Rob. At 10 to the negative 43 seconds after the creation event, six of the nine dimensions stopped expanding. Shortly thereafter, the continuing release of space curvature as a result of cosmic expansion led to the production of photons. And this is where it gets really cool. You ready? Led to the production of photons. So he's saying at 10 to the negative 43 seconds, right after this creation, right after there's been this big boom what we see is photons and what are photons photons are a particle representing a quantum of light this is going to get really good what this astrophysicist is describing is that at the beginning of creation there was light in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. You guys, the big bang was like God showing off, right? God's like, boom. And what happens? Scientists say there was these bursts of light. You guys know Genesis was written about 1440 BC. This is like pre-science. Pre, they didn't know anything scientifically. They knew things. They didn't know anything scientifically. And this is how they describe what God did. They said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. I want to read this quote to you. The beginning, this comes from Arthur Eddington. He's actually Einstein's contemporary, a non-religious guy. This is how a non-religious guy describes the evidence and the data that we've just looked at. He says, the beginning, this event that caused the Big Bang, the beginning seems to present insuperable difficulties. It means you really can't understand it. You can't wrap your brain around it. It just doesn't make sense unless we agree to look on it as frankly supernatural. This is a non-religious scientist speaking. This is not a pastor. This is a non-religious scientist who studied under Einstein and he said, look, with what the math and the science is telling us, you can't describe natural, you can't describe this big bang, you cannot describe this event where the whole universe is created without thinking of it in supernatural terms. So we're going to zoom in a little bit. So we've talked about this universe, right? We've talked about this universe that, that all of a sudden is expanding and the universe is growing. And since it's expanding, that means that there was a starting point. And Genesis already covers it and it says, let there be light. And scientists say, yeah, there were actually these quantum, these quantum photons that were bursting out light. But now we're going to zoom in a little bit. And I'm going to share some facts with you that have blown my mind because the question is, so, okay, so if God created the universe, well, what about earth? What about this place? What about where we find ourselves? Is there even, is it like, didn't we just kind of evolve or didn't this kind of earth just come about and, and it's not a big deal because we have all these other planets? Well, some of the stuff that I'm going to share with you guys has, has for me expanded my view of God and honestly made me like quiver a little bit. It's humbled me, and so I can't wait to share this stuff with you. There exists 122 constants, okay? So there's these things that scientists call 122 constants. And what they mean is that if these constants about our universe and about our planet, if they were altered even slightly, it would render this earth completely uninhabitable. So there's 122 of these constants that somehow hold in place that if, if altered even so slightly, we would be goners. I just want to share some of these with you because they just blew my mind this week. So the first one is this. Oxygen compromises, compro- compromises, uh, comprises 21% of our atmosphere. Okay, 21% of our atmosphere is oxygen. If it were a little bit less, if it were 20%, humans would suffocate. So if at any moment... Oxygen diminished from being 21% of our atmosphere to 20%, we would all immediately suffocate and die on the spot. But if it was 22%, fires would erupt and our planet would blow up. 
So literally, because of this perfect number, 21%, we're breathing. And I'm not on fire, I don't think, right? And I'm breathing, and I'm not on fire. And I'm able to walk around, right? Okay, and then it gets better, it gets better. Check this out. I love this. If the gravitational force was altered by 0.000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
If the tilt were altered slightly, surface temperatures would be too extreme for life to exist. So the earth is at this 23 degree tilt. And if it was at 24, or if it was at 22, we would be goners. If the rotation of the earth was longer, was, was a minute, was a second longer than 24 hours, temperature differences would be too extreme. And if it was shorter, atmospheric wind velocities would be too extreme. And again, if it were only off by a second, we wouldn't be here. And yet, because God created the world in such a way where we experience night and day, and we're tilted a little bit, right? Like we have this like swag to us, right? Like the earth is like boom, right? So the earth is like tilted and is doing this rotation. Because of that, you woke up this morning and you're here. The probability of these 122 constants, so we just talked about seven or eight of them. There are 122 of these. The probability of these 122 constants coexisting simultaneously without a designer would be 10 to the 138th power. 10 and 138 zeros after it. What this astrophysicist is saying is it's, virtu- it, it's, it's like as impossible as you can get that all of these constants would be happening at the exact same time and keeping us alive. It's a miracle. Penned in 700 BC, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says God. So God's talking to Isaiah. He says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. So he's saying, lift up your eyes. Look at what I've made. Look at the world that you live in. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one. And calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. See those 122 constants? Not one of them is missing. Because if they were, we wouldn't be here. Robert Jastrow, he's an astronomer, director of the Mount Wilson Foundation, and er, Mount Wilson, and founder of NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies. Okay, this guy is Got a big brain, right? This is what he says. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, scientifically a proven fact. This is a scientist. This is not your weird youth pastor. This is not your Twitter reading youth pastor. This is a scientist who has these big brains and has studied this stuff. He says, look, you just can't look at the world and not say that something created, that there is some supernatural power at work. And so here's the last thing we're going to talk about is Darwin's origin of life theory and evolution. So we talked about this light, we talked about this, this, this huge galaxy, this universe that we live in that's absolutely amazing and it's expanding so it had a creator. There was something that caused this. And then the fact that this earth is inhabitable and that we're here is an absolute miracle. So what about Darwin? What about some of what he talked about? Well, microevolution is something we believe in, okay? Microevolution is a proven fact. It's that there are variations in species like, like, like bacteria adapt and those kind of things. What we have question with is this idea of macroevolution because macroevolution is a philosophy. Now, there's data that they would, that they would want to use 
to promote that. But macroevolution as a whole is a philosophy. And what it says is this. Life began millions of years ago with a single-celled organism that slowly mutated and evolved to the ape, which is our common ancestor. So we're going to study this together for real quick, and then I'm going to get you into your small groups. The first thing is this. Darwin's Origin of Life, written in 1859, this is what he believed. Darwin suggested that if non-living chemicals were given enough time in appropriate circumstances, they would develop by themselves into living matter. So this is what he believed. The second thing he believed is this. He theorized that all living organisms evolve from a single common ancestor. So in order for him to prove that, here's what he needs. He needs three things. He needs evidence of natural amino acids, which amino acids are kind of the, uh, the, the basic building blocks of life. He would need to prove that amino acids are able to form protein molecules on their own. That on planet Earth here, that that could just somehow happen on its own. He'd also need to prove that our early Earth environment was actually sustainable for life. And the third thing is that our fossil record shows that species have evolved. So if he believes in this common ancestor, you've got to show that, that there was this one-celled one living organism that evolved into us today. And so we're going, to look at some of the, we're going to look at some of the information for that. First thing is this. A hundred amino acids comprise one protein molecule. And 200 protein molecules comprise one living cell. And the, the, to, to create that is this incredible process where DNA enters in and, and it's, it's this absolutely phenomenal thing that scientists are still blown away by. The problem is scientists have never been able to create this phenomenon in a natural earthly environment. So they've put kind of the right ingredients in and step back and they've never been able to create it. They've never been able to see cells These living organisms evolve or grow or become something. And check this out. This is one of my favorite quotes that we're going to talk about tonight. It says, more than 30 years of experimentation, more than 30 years of experimentation on the origin of life in the fields of chemical and molecular evolution have led to a better perception of the immensity of the problem of the origin of life on earth rather than to its solution. At present, all discussions on principal theories and experiments in the field either end in stalemate or in a confession of ignorance. So they're saying that scientists have over and over and over tried to do this and they cannot do it. And this is why. Stanley Miller was this guy who he believed that there were three, uh, there were three properties at work in the early atmosphere. And it was this. There was ammonia, methane, and hydrogen. And so what he did is he, this guy, Stanley Miller, he created this experiment where he put those three properties together. And then stimulated it with kind of a, 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 a lightning sort of thing. And, and what he did is he was actually able to create living cells. And so what they, what, they, what they concluded was, oh my gosh, this could have happened. Like on early earth, without a God, there could have been this lightning and living cells could have created. But here's the problem. Early earth never had ammonia, methane, and hydrogen. And in fact, NASA proved in 1980 that early Earth actually contained water, carbon dioxide, and nitrogen. And when those were stimulated, you can't create life. And so right there, we have had, it's been impossible to do this. And even if, let's say, you took all the carbon, which is a key ingredient to life, if you took all the carbon in the universe and put it on the face of the Earth, allowed it to chemically react at the most rapid pace possible, and left it for one billion years, the odds of creating just one protein molecule, molecule which you need 200, plus a perfect DNA fit, would be one in one, and that's 62 zeros. They just haven't proved it. 
They haven't seen it do this. And in fact, I love this commentator, an astronomer, also a non-religious guy, says this. This scenario is about as likely as a tornado whirling through a junkyard and accidentally assembling a fully functional Boeing 747. Isn't that awesome, right? So the potential of like this, this thing actually happening, is like a tornado blowing through and creating a 747. It just doesn't happen. All right, I want to get to the fossil record. Okay, so we're going to talk lastly about the fossil record. So there's this fossil record which scientists are hoping and, and aiming that they will show us how gradually there has been evolution in species. But this is what they found. They, they, they studied bats' wings, dolphins' flippers, horse legs, and human hands. And what they look at that and they say, look, this is sign of common descent. They say we all have a very similar hand structure, and so it's evidence that we have descended. But other scientists would argue, you know what? Actually, all that does is that shows a common design. Right? Like you look at a car, or you look at the new iPhone that just came out. You would look at the new iPhone, and it's very similar to the other iPhones, but you would never say it evolved. You wouldn't necessarily say it has a common descent that just, it naturally became that. You would say, no, 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 it had a common designer. And so that's what we believe as Christians, that, yeah, God may have used a similar models and stuff because he, had a, he was the same designer creating us, and yet it doesn't necessarily prove that we had common descent. And what about the missing links? Like there's this, there's this guy, Java Man, that they found. And Java Man had this, they found a split skull, they found a femur bone, and they found three teeth. And with that, somehow they created this man and they said, look, this guy is half human, half monkey. But when they did more research, you know what they found? The femur bone didn't even belong to him. And the skull that they thought was smaller, and they, they, thought, they thought his brain would have been halfway between an ape and a human. What they actually found is when they studied that further, that that skull was within the range of a human brain. That that skull would have contained a brain that was the size of a human. And so it's an early human. It's not ape-man combo. It's not this half, it's not this evolution, this evolved species. It was a man. There was this guy named Heckel who, he, uh, he drew out these embryos and he looked at uh, reptiles, birds, amphibians, and fish. And he said, as embryos, they are so similar. That proves that we all evolved from a common ancestor. And yet later when they did research and they've really studied these with computers and figured out the embryos, they're not similar to each other. There are so many striking differences and in fact, his drawings were just wrong. They were just flat out wrong. Or lastly, some people would say, well, human embryos, like if you look at a baby, it has these things that look like gills so we must have evolved from fish. But in reality, they're not gills. That, that sometimes when an embryo kind of folds over, there's these, uh, there's these ridges, there's these flaps of skin that kind of form these strong lines. And if you look at them, they look like gills, but they're not gills. They're nothing like gills. And so each time somebody proposes this theory of why there's not a God or, or why we evolved, there's clear evidence that points in the other direction. And unfortunately, this, unfortunately for Darwinian atheists, this is the reality. We are now about 120 years after Darwin, and the knowledge of fossil record has been greatly expanded. We now have a quarter of a million fossil species, but the situation hasn't changed much. So when it was Darwin's time, there were not all these discoveries. And he was hoping, he said, man, if my theory is true, we will find all of these fossils through archaeological digs that will prove 
that there has been gradual evolution over time. But we have even fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we had in Darwin's time. This is the curator of the National Museum of History. Not a Christian. He's not trying to prove a point. He doesn't have an agenda. This is just the facts. This is just the reality. So then God said, let there let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let me just pause here for a second and say you have got to know this, that the scientific evidence consistently points back to there was this event when something created. Something created the world. And there is no evidence that we just kind of evolved from a living, from from a single-celled living organism. But what we do have is something written thousands and thousands of years ago where God, the one who said, let there be light as the scientists have seen, says, I'm going to make mankind. I'm going to make men and women. And I'm not only going to make them and then back off, I'm actually going to make them and I'm I'm going to put my image inside of them. I'm going to put a part of me in them so that they may know me. So that as they look around and they ask the questions of why am I here, that they would look to me, that they would look at creation, they would look at the world, they would look at the earth they live in and they would be blown away and that that image bearingness inside of them would draw them back to me. And so there may be some of you here tonight who you don't have a relationship with God. And maybe after hearing this kind of evidence, you're going, man, I thought I could just think that, oh, this world just happened to come into existence. And it's just by random chance or, you know, big deal. What we've just discovered is that this world came into existence because of a very specific event, a big bang where there was this burst of light. And that since then, the universe has been expanding. This earth was formed. And when this earth was formed, there was this planet Jupiter that someone who caused that event decided to put this Jupiter in orbit. And the same God who created Jupiter and put it in orbit tilted us a little bit and helped us expand at just the right rate and, and, and put us in these 24-hour markers. Did all of these wonderfully scientific, beautiful things as he's created so that this place could be inhabitable. And then he creates you. And he creates you to be in a relationship with him. You see, God didn't just show off for himself. And he showed off for himself. He brought himself glory in showing off. But he showed off so that each one of us in this room could look at him and say, Oh my God, you are amazing. And this is what always trips me out. Psalm 139 talks about that while we were in the womb, God knit us together. 
So the God who brings out light, who expands the universe, who put billions of stars in place and, and put them 30 trillion miles apart from each other, who tilted the earth, who did all these amazing scientific things is the same God who knit you together. And maybe your parents didn't want you. And maybe there's some people in your life who don't like you. And maybe there's times where you feel kind of lonely, but can I remind you that the God of the universe who is so busy expanding it and who is so brilliant in how he creates also took time to put you together. That same God loves you and gave up his life for you. That to me is mind-blowing. Let me read this last quote to us and then we'll end. I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation. Only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will bring you closer to God. So that's my hope. That's my hope tonight is that as we've talked about this, as we've talked about what God did, the evidence that that this earth, this universe is not eternal, but that it had a moment of creation. And as you have to answer the question, who created it? You have to answer that. Who created it? We believe it was God. And we're going to talk more throughout this series. And I want to invite you back and to invite your friends about why do we believe it was God? But what I can tell you is this. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So here's the hard part. After tonight's talk, you don't have an excuse anymore. Right? You can't just like fist bump Jupiter, right? And say, you the man, I'm going to keep doing my thing, right? No. Because of what we've talked about tonight, there is no excuse because all the evidence points towards God created the world. And he created everything in the world and he created every one of you. So what difference does that make in your life? Because for me, this week, I'm going, oh my gosh, God. Whoa. You created all of this and yet... Like it's overwhelming, the evidence, and yet you're mindful of me. And the beautiful thing is he wants a relationship with you. He doesn't shove it in your face and say, you didn't create Jupiter, I did, sucka. No, right? He said, I created Jupiter for you. I gave my life for you. My love is for you. So when you break up in your small groups, I want you to talk about this. What difference does this evidence make in your life today? Because this evidence demands a verdict. God of creation, thank you so much for your love for us. God who is constantly expanding the universe. Who is holding this planet and the billions of galaxies in place. who allows us to breathe in breath. We're humbled by you. Thank you, God, that you're that big because my problems seem big, but they're not that big. 
and life seems overwhelming and the news I just got seems huge and it's changing my life and I'm, and I'm terrified. But God, if you're that big, you can handle it. So God, help me to process what this means. Help us as students to process this truth, this scientific data, these scriptures. What do they mean for my life? Thank you, creator God. Amen.